0: Okay, so we've already introduced ourselves, so I married Megan back in 2003, and that was the first kind of time I came out to Foothill, and like she said before, you guys have always been so welcoming and so loving, and I've felt just uh, your love and acceptance and and warmth here, and so it's really nice to be back and feel that again, and thank you so much. You're a, a wonderful family of God here, so thank you. Uh, So today, I want to share uh, a story of Jesus. So I would like you all to close your Bibles. So please close your Bibles. I'm just going to tell you a story of Jesus. Uh, So one morning, or I don't know if it was a morning, one day, excuse me, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, let's go to the other side of the lake. And so they got in the boat, and they're going over to the other side of the lake, and Jesus falls asleep in the boat. And as they're going, the waves start to get bigger, the winds come down, and suddenly they find themselves in a huge storm, and the water is crashing into the boat, and Jesus' disciples are getting really afraid, and Jesus is sleeping. So they run over to Jesus, and they wake him up, and they say, Jesus, Jesus, Lord, don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus wakes up, gets up, and he rebukes the storm. And the wind and the waves, it all stops. Everything is calm. And he turns to his disciples and says, Where is your faith? The disciples look at one another, and they say to one another, Who is this man? Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? How would I do? Did I tell the story okay? Are you familiar with that one? Um... I hope you were listening. I hope I didn't forget anything because what I want you to do, it's probably going to be strange, but I want you now to turn to the person next to you and tell them the story that I just told. In your own words, keep your Bible closed. If you're sitting by yourself, that means you might have to get up and find someone. And then when you're done telling, the person you told the story to, they can turn to you and tell the story. So I'll give you like five. When I start seeing faces, look up at me. Please, please don't fake it. Actually do it. It's not a very long story, okay? And the other thing is, if if you notice that the person telling you the story, they're forgetting something or missing something, then you can help them out. You know, this is not a test. This is not an exam. You just want to tell the story, okay? Go for it. I see a few people maybe finishing up. How are we doing? All right. Well, I, I, maybe you've probably never done anything like that in church before. Uh, but this is an exercise that we've gotten into the habit of doing on Clove Islands. And we're even trying to teach our brothers and sisters, our island brothers and sisters there, to do this same thing because we've come to realize that stories are powerful. And there is a reason why Jesus spoke in parables. And I think it's kind of funny that we spend a lot of time, or some people do, spend a lot of time memorizing verses, but we don't necessarily, we aren't necessarily able to tell the stories from the Bible when the majority of the Bible is narrative. Uh, and so there's just something about telling a story in your own words that is so engaging, and we've experienced this. If you are at Adult Forum, Megan already shared a story about it. I'm going to share another story about a guy that would come uh, to my house once a week, every week, this is a brother. He's been a brother for a long time. And we would sit and we would read a Bible story together. And we would kind of study it. And he's not a great reader. It would kind of, it would, it would be a bit of a struggle. We'd, we'd ask some questions, we'd engage it. And then one day, I, you know, we were learning about stories. And I put it away and I'd learned to just tell the story. So I said, this week I'm just going to tell it to you. And it was amazing the difference in his response, like he's tracking with me as I'm telling the story. He's like, yeah, yeah. And he's, you know, giving me words that, that like, you know, trying to say the story already in his own words. And then afterwards he's thinking about it and he's asking me all sorts of questions. And it just was like, wham, you know, when you tell a story and engage with someone face to face in that way, there's just just something different is going on. And God can work really powerfully in those ways. And so Uh, It's just amazing the difference. I think our brains work differently than when we're communicating a story versus when it's on paper. And so uh, I told you this is something we do with our brothers and sisters on Clove Island, but there's something else we do. And uh, so we challenge them that that week after they've heard the story, told the story, is to go out that week and tell the story to somebody else. And so I want to put that challenge right up front, right at the beginning, uh, to you to challenge you to go out and tell this simple story to somebody in your life. It does not have to be some stranger on the street. You don't have to go and call your whole office in and say, I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus. Okay? If it's your kids, that's fine. If it's your husband or wife, that's fine. Okay? But just go and tell the story to someone. You know, maybe it is a friend. Think about it, pray about it, and, and tell the story to someone. And if you're nervous about it, you can say some weird guy at church said I should go do this, you know. But just tell them it. It takes like two minutes, as you've seen. Go out and do it. And if you're really brave, do more than one, all right? Uh, And then what I'm going to say is if you're really into it, maybe next week you can check in with one another and just ask somebody, how did it go? Did you tell somebody the story? And what, did they, what was their response? Well, maybe, maybe Hans-Erik, I don't want to put pressure on you, but if you want to ask them, you know, maybe during that prayer time someone could tell about uh, what happened. Uh, because that's what we do with our island brothers and sisters to help them spread the good news. And it's just a great, easy way to make the church grow. And if, it's, if it works there, why not here? Okay, so now I want to begin to unpack that story a little bit with you. And so now if you'd like to open your Bibles, you can. It's in Luke 8, uh, chapter 8, 22 to 25. Okay, Luke 8, chapter, or chapter 8, 22 to 25, verses 22 to 25. But if you remember the story, that's fine. I'm, so uh, let's, let's begin to unpack it a bit. This is one of the first stories I like to share with people... Who have expressed interest to me about learning about Jesus? Because I believe it asks one of the most important questions, possibly the most important question in the Bible, possibly the most important question in the whole universe. So let's look at the story. Jesus tells the disciples to cross the lake. Along the way, he falls asleep. A huge storm whips up. The waves are crashing into the boat. It's taking on water. They don't have life vests back then. This is bad news, it's a bad scene. And the disciples are scared. And remember, many of these guys are fishermen, so they know what it's like to be on the water. Uh, So it must have been a pretty bad scene. Uh, But Jesus, he's asleep. So the disciples do what I think would come very naturally. They run over and they wake up Jesus. Lord, we're going to die. Uh, This story is also found in, in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. And so it's kind of interesting to see the, the slightly different ways. Maybe different disciples said it this way. And in Mark it says, don't you care? Don't you care that we're dying? Uh, in Matthew it says, save us, we're dying. You know, And Jesus gets up and he calms the storm. And notice how he does it. Uh, does Jesus have some sort of magic spell? Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo? No. Does he kneel down and pray to God in heaven that the, the wind and waves would stop? No. He simply gets up and he speaks to the wind, speaks to the waves. We don't know exactly what he said, just as a, he rebuked them. Maybe it was silence or peace. Or maybe he said, winds, waves, enough. I, I don't know, but whatever it was, it worked, right? Uh, but it, what, what I think is really important to note is that Jesus commands the storm. It's funny, when we, when we do this story with islanders, they always want to get this, this part of the story wrong. And it's not because they weren't listening to the story, but because of their worldview. And so they always want to change it. They always want to say, and then Jesus prayed to God and God stopped the storm. But do you see the difference there? It's a slight difference, but it's an important one. One gives the authority to God alone but the story in the gospels clearly give this authority to Jesus to do that. So I'm going to come back to that more on that later. So then Jesus turns to his disciples after he's calmed the storm. And this part is for me, I always find it to be a really tough part of the story. He says to them, "Where is your faith?" Or in Mark, what? why were you afraid? Don't you have any faith?" Or in Matthew, why were you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? And I kind of want to talk to Jesus here. Like, you know, Jesus, you're not being very fair. I mean, the boat was going down. The waves are crashing into there. It a lot of water. Uh, things were bad. Uh, and didn't they do what, what we're told to do in the Bible when you've got troubles? Aren't we supposed to run to, to God, our, our rock, our shelter? Why is Jesus giving them a hard time? Uh, is it because they woke him up? (laughs) No, I I don't know. But, uh, you know, it makes me think about faith. And I think faith is one of those big concepts that, for a long time, I've struggled to understand what it means. What, What does it mean to have faith? I mean, you know, there's that other place where Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And I don't know about you, but I haven't moved any mountains recently, so how small is my faith, you know? Um, so what have I figured out? And this is what I figured out: faith. What is faith? What I figured out is that faith is trust in action. Trust in action. I had a pastor in college who put it this way: it's it's like if you have a chair or stool, right? I can look at that stool and say, eh, looks pretty sturdy, looks pretty strong. yeah, good, good, well made. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. But I don't have faith in that stool until I actually sit down in it, right? So that's the difference between trust and trust in action. So our, our faith is when you put it in action, when you sit down in the stool, sit down in the chair. Um, so that's been helpful to me. But then what does it mean? What does it mean if, so having faith in Jesus is, is trusting him and, and putting it into action. So getting back to the story, what I think the disciples do right is they have enough faith. To, to look to Jesus to save them. They know he can do something about the situation. Uh, but the problem is, maybe, is that they don't see. They look to Jesus, but they don't, they don't look at Jesus. Because what is Jesus doing? Right in the middle of the storm, they're looking at the storm. But if they look at Jesus, Jesus is asleep. Jesus is calm. There's no problems uh, with him. And uh, maybe... Just possibly, maybe they could have said, well, look at Jesus is okay with this situation, so I guess I can be too. Maybe they could just settle down next to him and take a nap. I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I'm working on that, right? I'm still caught calling out to Jesus, wake up, Jesus, I need your help. And I think that's okay. But I think we need to work on trusting him more in the storm, more in the midst of trouble. Uh, you know, some of us, uh, we don't even let Jesus fall asleep. Jesus, Jesus, there's a, there's a cloud over there. Oh, no, wait, it's just a bird. Never mind. You can go back to sleep, you know. So we need, to, we need to be growing in our faith. And so that's another thing I've been learning about faith, is that faith is like a muscle. It's like a muscle, and you have to work at it. And if you want it to grow, you have to exercise it. And just like a muscle, you probably can't just start by lifting 1,000 pounds, right? You have to start small and work your way up. Um, and if you never work your faith muscle, it'll probably be lacking when you're really needing it. And so then I'm starting to think, well, how, how can you start working at it? What are the, like, you know, the small weights that you can put on there? What are some small ways to start working that faith muscle? And I think there are, uh, there are lots of ways, but I'll give you a few, uh, suggestions. The ones that came to my head was, how about fasting? I don't know how many people here fast, but I think it's a great way to try, just test that God will get you through your day, your work day, even if you haven't had three square meals. You know, it's, it's a small thing, but maybe this is a way you can stretch your faith a little bit. How about uh, keeping a Sabbath? Trusting that there could be one day a week where you don't, don't work. Now, again, I'm not suggesting these as rules that you must follow. This is just ways to stretch your faith, right? Now, one day a week that maybe you could put those emails aside, put that work aside, even your, well, the kids all left, but school work aside and say that I, I can trust God to help me still get all the work done that I need to get done because and, and, this is something God wants, and, and build your faith in that way. Um, what about something like giving or tithing? And giving of your money and trusting that God will take care of you and it's not your salary or your money that's going to take care of you. So I think there's all sorts of ways. What about uh, helping out in the church and giving up your time, your precious time, which you probably feel like you don't have any of? What if you gave some of that away and stretched your faith in that way? Um, what if you were to share a Bible story with someone that, you know, just a small Bible story that you heard at a church service or something. See, I slipped that in there. Yeah, it might be a small way to, to stretch your faith. It could be that one about Jesus calming the storm. Uh, anyway, I think there's lots of ways to get that faith muscle working. And, uh, and, you know, if you're already doing those sorts of things, maybe you should be thinking about, how do I add more weight? What's the next step? So uh, if any of you are ready to come out to the islands with us, you know, come talk to me. All right. Yeah, what's what's the next step? Uh, but anyway, let's get back to the story. So Jesus asked the disciples that question: "Where's your faith?" And then the disciples turn to each other, and they ask a question. And this is the most important question in the universe: Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They say, "Who is this man?" He's like no one we've ever known. Who is this man? It is a crucial question. It's the question that I believe everyone, everyone in the world must struggle with. Who is this man? And so how do you answer that question? How do people here in Mountain View, Los Altos, the Bay Area, how do they, how do they answer that question? How do, how do religious, church-going people answer that question? How do the people on the islanders answer that question? How do you answer that question? That's what I really want to talk about. So let's take, let's take for a moment and think about what, what do people in America or in the Bay Area uh, usually think about this question, "Who is this man? How do people see Jesus? I think a lot of times people around here, they, they see Jesus as a great man, a great teacher. Be a, a great ideas guy. You know, Jesus, he had some mind-blowing ideas. change the world stuff. And, and they're right, you know. Jesus, uh, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, that's, that's pretty mind-blowing stuff. And it has changed the world. Revolutionary ideas. And so they answer that question, who is this man? A great teacher. An ideas guy. But then you tell them this story about Jesus calming the storm. And you realize that you can't settle for that explanation. Do you see how this story challenges that view? Ideas guy, okay, Mark Zuckerberg or, or uh, uh, Steve Jobs, they're ideas guys. But as far as I know, they can't control the wind and the waves with a word from their mouth or even from their iPod. right? Uh, they, they can't... They, uh, ideas guys, you can't hear this story and come away saying, that Jesus, he had some great ideas, that's, that's not all you can say. No, there's real power here in this story. Supernatural power. And, you know, if we're honest, the, the place where we live has an effect on our understanding. We, 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 the, the, the culture around us infiltrates us, too, even as we try to live for Christ. And so, uh, in the Bay Area... Uh, is, what is the Bay Area teaching us, uh, and how is it infiltrating our understanding of Jesus? Is something we need to think about. Because, you know, if we tend to see Jesus in that way as only a teacher and not the one who commands the winds and the waves, well, when trouble comes, uh, we're going to reflect that understanding in our lives. When the storms come, when the troubles come, we're going to reflect that understanding. And it's going to have an effect. And you see, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of trouble, if you think that Jesus is just a good teacher, just an ideas guy, that's not going to be much good to you in the midst of your trouble and pain and problems. You're not going to be going to Jesus to wake him up because you don't think he can really do anything for you. No, in the storm... You're just going to have to rely on your own two hands because ideas aren't going to help in the storm. You need someone who can do something. And so you're just going to keep paddling on, right? If Jesus is just an ideas guy, who is this man? Does he, can he really help in the midst of the storm? But you know, here in America, we also have lots of religious people, lots of people who go to church and they can give you the good answers about who Jesus is. They might even sound pretty theological and, uh, and good when they answer that question, who is this man? Yes, Jesus, the incarnation, fully God, fully man, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one being with the Father, etc., etc., etc. You know, uh, they've got their theology down. They've got their theology right. They're right on track. But the thing is, they don't know Jesus as a friend they don't walk with Jesus. You see, there were lots of religious men at the time of Jesus, and they could quote you chapter and verse about how the Messiah is coming. They were looking for the Messiah, except expecting the Messiah. They were waiting for him. But when they saw Jesus, they didn't see. Their theology was good, but they didn't go with Jesus. And today, unfortunately, it's not so different. There's plenty of us who know him up here, but don't know him here. And it's not enough. You see, maybe, maybe the disciples in the boat got it wrong uh, in that they, they were freaking out while they were in the boat, but they knew Jesus, and they knew Jesus would help them. And they're right there with Jesus. The problem with so many of the religious people, those of us who think we are religious, is that we aren't with Jesus. The fact of the matter is we aren't in the boat with him. You know, it's like, uh, oh, man, Jesus, I love what you're doing. I'm really tracking with you. This has been great, man. You know, okay, see you next Sunday, all right? Uh, and during the week, where's Jesus? Oh, I, I guess he's back at the church doing stuff. I, I don't I don't really know. But see, if you're spending, if, you, if you're friends with Jesus, you're spending time with him, quality time with Jesus. And that means you're going where he is going. Notice it was Jesus who said, let's get in the boat and go over to the other side of the lake. And the disciples say, you're going there, we're going to tell. And they jump in the boat with him. You see, that's where Jesus is going. And the truth is, it seems to me that Jesus is going uh, to places that maybe people aren't always happy to go to. You know, He's going to the rough part of town. He's going and helping out those kids who are failing in school and, and come from broken homes. Uh, Jesus is ready to sit there with that friend who's just lost a loved one and mourn with them and, and sit in silence. Or Jesus is ready to rejoice with that colleague at work who got the promotion that you were really hoping to get. Jesus wants to rejoice with them, you know. Jesus is ready to go to the ends of the earth to let people know about him. And I really believe that Jesus is Self through dreams, through visions, through all sorts of ways, to Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, all of who are your neighbors, who live right here in this amazing area where you have cultures from all over the world right by, who go, who you see every day, and you go to work with. So that's where Jesus is. The question is, where are we? Are we with Jesus? Because Jesus, he takes you places you never thought you would. But that's the cost of being. It's his friend. And it's worth it. He wants to be your friend. Who is this man? Is he just a theological idea? Or is he your, your friend? Now, in the islands, most of my island friends are Muslim. And in some way, Muslims already know a whole lot about Jesus. Uh, did you know that Muslims re- revere Jesus as a prophet and as a teacher? They believe he was born of a virgin. They believe that he did tons of miracles, healed the sick, did did amazing things. They even believe he was the Messiah. And they believe that he'll come back on Judgment Day. They believe all these things. Uh, But where it really counts, they don't believe. Remember what I said before about how they always want to change that part of the story? Instead of Jesus commanding the storm, they want to say that Jesus prayed to God and and uh, that's how the miracle happened, and how that difference is crucial. You see, my Muslim friends, they'll acknowledge that Jesus had the power to do miracles, but not acknowledge his authority to do them. They do not recognize Jesus as the Son of God. In fact, they are taught that to say that Jesus is the Son of God is to blaspheme, and they're taught that that lie from the time they are born, practically. Uh, they're taught it over and over and over again. And equally important, they're taught to deny that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And again, they're taught this from almost from birth. And that can be why it can be so hard for a Muslim to believe. You know, it's been drilled into their head. Jesus did not die on the cross. To say he's the son of God is blasphemy. But then I tell them a simple story about how Jesus calmed the storm. It starts to challenge that belief. It starts to niggle its way into their brain and into their heart. What kind of man is this? Who is this man? The wind and the waves obey him. And you know, knowing this story correctly and thinking about this story correctly is, is a step in the right direction. Because if Jesus has the authority to command the wind and the waves, it begs the question, "Who else has that authority?" And the answer is, only God. Only God has that kind of authority. So if they come to believe in this story that this is a true story, well, maybe they'll listen to another story about how Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And so who is this man who has the authority to command the wind and the waves and to forgive sins? And maybe they'll listen to another story about how Jesus, uh, forsaking his honor and power and all that authority went on to a cross in shame and died. Who is this man who has the authority of God and yet gives it all up and dies in shame on a cross? And then maybe they'll let me tell another story about how this man died but rose again. And they'll ask the question, who is this man who has the authority of God but cannot be killed by death, who died on a cross but can't stay dead? And maybe they'll let me tell another story about the Holy Spirit lived in his disciples, and miracles continue to happen just like Jesus did. And they'll ask that question who is this man who has the authority of God who died and rose and conquered death and lives on and wants to live in my heart and change me forever? Who is this man? Is he a teacher? Is he just an idea? Is he a friend? Is he the Son of God? Never stop asking this question. This question doesn't get old. Don't start thinking you figured it out. This question can last us and last us for the whole, for our whole life. Um, to bring it on a personal level for just a moment. I want to show you how it's been affecting me lately. I've been thinking about who is this man? And it has me thinking if this is this Jesus who has the authority to command the wind and the waves. He lives in me. His power is in me. Now, some of you don't know me very well, but I'm I'm not a terribly outgoing guy. I'm a, I'm a I'm a somewhat timid, and I don't really uh, expect new people to like me that I've never met before. Uh, and so, you know, and especially when I'm meeting intimidating people, uh, I I don't do so well. Uh, but who is this man? Who's this man who's living in me? Uh, what am I learning? What I'm, what I'm learning is I, I, I shouldn't be intimidated by intimidating people. Like, you know, like sometimes on the islands I have to deal with government officials. I don't need to be intimidated by government officials. I don't need to be intimidated by teenagers. <laughs> teenagers are intimidating. I don't know about you. But <laughs> I don't know. Jesus is in me have to be afraid who is this man living in me so that's something i've been working on i want to ask you what are you working on what are you working on how are you answering this most important question who is this man and then as you think about that don't just think about yourself but how can you get your family members and your friends your colleagues at work your neighbors How can you get them to think about this same question, who is this man? Because it's the most important question in the universe. Thank you. Change my mind, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time to to think about who you are and Lord, I pray that uh, we would never get tired of asking this question because you never get tired of answering it. Uh, Lord, you are the Son of God. You are the one who can command the winds and the waves and that power to change lives and to, uh, to, to be that calm in the midst of the storm that we need not fear, we need not uh, worry because uh, you are with us, Lord. And you desire to be our friend and you call us, uh, uh, you call us friend. Lord, the Son of God who calls us friends, Lord, there's so many ways that we can answer that question, and, we, and I pray that you would teach us today and in the days ahead and for the rest of our lives who you are. May we never stop asking the question, who are you, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.